Hey everybody, it's Jason. Welcome or welcome back to the Mosaic Church Podcast. At the end of this podcast, please take a moment to connect with us on social media. It's a great place to learn more and to see what's happening at Mosaic. Most importantly, hope the following message encourages and inspires you to take a new step on your faith journey. Enjoy. I was with my wife and some family sitting after dinner, just sitting around talking and enjoying some conversation and shoot our kids outside. Go play. It's time to go. So we could have some adult conversation time. Everyone with parents in here with young kids know exactly what I'm talking about. Go outside and play, right? And so I'd sent my then six-year-old son outside to play, and they're out there, and then he came inside, but something was extremely wrong. I could tell by the look on his face that something had happened to him, and he looked at me, and he said, Dad, Ricky stole my sword. Now, a little background of Ricky. Ricky was a boy who lived next door to us, and we had a rental property right next to our home, and this is someone that he adored. He was a great friend of his, and they would play together all the time, and he would run outside to our backyard to be able to see him. And so he had the first true betrayal of his life. And like any good dad, I said, well, you're going to have to figure this out. And so I sent him outside to go get his sword. So he runs off, and we go back to our conversation, and this time he comes back in. Things were different this time, even worse. He says, Dad, Ricky stole my baseball bat too. I don't want to be his friend anymore. Now, he had just won this baseball bat for an award, and it was his prized possession, and he loved this thing. We would go in the backyard, and we would hit baseballs for hours. I could never throw enough baseballs. It's like you can never throw enough tennis balls for a Labrador retriever. Like, I could never throw enough baseballs to my young son, and he loved this plastic, cheap little bat, and his best friend stole it from him. But then I noticed something a little different. As I really took a look at him, I noticed that he was covered in spit. My heart broke. On his head and clothes could see these gobs of spit And his head just hung in guilt and shame. And he sat in our dining room and just began to sob. Something inside of me snapped. Not a holy, good, let's go talk nice to these people. I cracked. And I saw my son and something happened so dark inside of me. All I thought of doing is destroying these people. And so I got down the stairs and I started to walk. And I had to walk around the outside of our city block to get to this place. And as I'm walking, I'm seeing that there's a party going on there. Big group of adults are all there. And I met his parents a couple of times. Some pleasantries over our fenced-in yard. And so in my protective mode, I go out there. And I also see this big, large group of kids. Some the same age, some older. And when I started to walk down the stairs, and, and I started to have this rage fill my mind, something clicked inside of me again. Don't do it. Don't do it. And I could feel this tension inside of me of either I'm going to jail today, 
or I could do something else. And the spirit starts poking me, and I start to think about what would it look like for my ministry. Now, at this time, I'm a youth pastor in Racine, Wisconsin. And if I go over there and blow this, I could blow a lot. But then there's this dad side of me. Who does that to a little six-year-old boy? Who allows this to happen? And by the time I got around the block and walked in, I said, okay, I've got to do this right. And so I see the parents. And I address them. I let them know what happened. And there's this awkward exchange of apologies. And, and uh, oh, I'm so, I'm so sorry. Uh, uh, Ricky, you guys, where, where are his things? Where are his toys? And they go over there and they, they find him. And they had taken him and hit him in yards over. So we've never found, it, found his toys. And the imagery in my head, as this was painfully digging into me, is my son standing at a chain link fence that's no more than three and a half to four feet high, showing his prized possession to his friends to have them steal and spit on him. But I didn't react. I took the toys, mumbled something about it's okay. We went on and I, and I went back into the house. Now, what do you say after something like that? He sat on the edge of his bed and I walked into his room and sat next to him. I had the toys in my hands and I set him down next to him, but he didn't care. It wasn't about that. He couldn't even look up. The toys meant nothing to him. And I just held him. I put him on my lap, and he buried his head in my chest, knowing that he was safe. What do you say in a moment like this? What do you say? So I said nothing. I just sat in silence for a while. Because my heart was broken, my mind was racing, my own emotions and my own adrenaline. So I sat silently for some time. And then after a few minutes, I broke the silence. I said, you know, son, Jesus talks about this in the Bible. He looked up at me and I continued. I said, Jesus says it's really, really, really easy to love your mom and dad. It is really, really hard to love Ricky right now. But we have to. And we're even supposed to pray for him. So for those of you who have Bibles, open up to Matthew chapter 5, verse 43 to 47. If you don't have a Bible, there's some underneath chairs. Um, also, if you use an app or an iPad or iPhone, um, if you have Android, I'm sorry, get something Apple. Um, but <laughs> there are uh, beautiful Bible apps that you can get for free and download if you haven't had that before, uh, which has devotionals. Uh, feel free to read around, along because I believe it's important that you see these words for yourself. Yes, we have them on a screen but I want you to touch and engage the word of God for yourself. Because I'm not making this up. This Jesus loves in a way that's so transformative, I just don't get it. And this is what he says, Matthew 5, verse 43 to 47. You have heard that it is said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? 
Do not even pagans do that. So you need a background of this passage to understand what's happening culturally during this time. The background of this passage is the Pharisees have been teaching the people an incorrect interpretation of a scripture verse in Psalms. Pharisees were teachers. They were the religious people of Jesus' day. They're the ones making the laws and the rules. And what they were trying to do is uphold the Old Testament portion of the teachings of the Jewish people, the nation of Israel. But what's happening over time is they're actually adding more things into these interpretations. And they're adding more rules. and They're adding more ways of living outside really what the scriptures were saying. And then these Pharisees would interpret it in their own way. And so they were teaching an incorrect interpretation using Psalm 139, verses 19 to 22. Again, if you have Bible, uh, flip there, or your phones or iPads. Psalm 139, 19 to 22, is they're using this verse to teach. They says this, If only you, God, would slay the wicked. Away from me, you who are bloodthirsty. They speak of you with evil intent. Your adversaries misuse your name. Do I not hate those who hate you, Lord? and abhor those who are in rebellion against you. I have nothing but hatred for them. I count them my enemies. Now think about this for a second. They're taking this teaching. Now, they're misusing this scripture. And Jesus says, you have heard it said. What he is saying in this verse is, you have heard it said, this verse is about hating everybody about you, around you. That's not what this verse is about at all. Because Jesus, when he came, said, I'm going to explain to you all these things of God. I'm not wiping out the old ways of doing things. What you have interpreted has been wrong in a lot of ways. And so I'm going to teach you the correct way of it. So when he teaches this, he's going against something that the Pharisees have been teaching. Now, in this teaching, this had political ramifications. This had regional ramifications. This had racial ramifications. The nation of Israel hated Samaritans. It was racially charged. The Pharisees were teaching to hate anybody outside of Israel, outside of the chosen people. They used this verse to actually use power and money to get what they need. Now, I don't want to get too overly complicated here, but it sounds a lot like our society in some areas, does it not? Money, power, corruption to be able to hold control of something and misusing and misquoting and missaying things so that we can grab that power. And so they were teaching this. Anybody outside of God's people are meant to be hated. So Jesus addresses this. He says this beautiful word. You have heard this, but it's not correct. I'm telling you something new. You have to love all those people on the outside and you have to pray for everybody who hurts you. This makes it very clear in this verse. Everybody loves everybody who loves them. If you give love and they love you back, well, that's an easy one. Everyone greets people who agrees with you, who I'm in relationship with. I like you, so therefore I greet you. Imagine if all the people you don't like, you actually lived out this verse. Now, I know you, I know you guys love everybody and you're the most awesome, wonderful people in the world and have no enemies or whatever, but I do. There's people I don't like. I, I, I struggle with it. I, I, I didn't like Ricky nor his parents at that moment. There are people who have hurt me so deeply in my life. There's, I, I've forgiven, but I just don't like them. 
but that not liking is still corrupting my heart because I'm not being honest. I'm not praying for these people. Prayer is something very unique. If there's somebody you don't like, try praying for them every day. It starts to change your perspective a bit about people who have hurt and harmed and done things. And not like, dear God, let that person die, amen. I'm not saying that kind of prayer. Not the vengeful prayer. Lord, how can I help influence them? How can I encourage them? Lord, what can I do to love them more? God, would you bring love into their life? Lord, would you do something that transforms their entire worldview? That type of prayer. That is really, really hard. Because I want to do it. And I've said this before. I love the word of God, but there's parts I just don't like. I don't like it because it goes right into the depths of my problems. And it points at me. And this is one of these verses that points at me. Yeah, in the story of Ricky, I did the right thing. But I could tell you more stories where I didn't. And the enemies that I have where I'm just mad. It's corrupting me. Jesus makes this unbelievable statement here. Those who follow him are going to stand out. And they will love everybody. Those who follow him will stand out because they love everybody. Now, I don't know what your church background is. Okay, I don't know where you're at church-wise. Been in church your whole life, first time, checking it out, coming back to church, wasn't a church, whatever. Okay, I get, we all have different backgrounds here. That's why we're mosaic. Broken, unique pieces brought together to create something beautiful. But the definition of love is how his disciples, his people are supposed to be found. It wasn't religion. It wasn't the religious components of it. They're going to be known simply by the way that they love. So this concept goes back to 614 of Matthew. Our love will lead to forgiving everybody who has hurt us. And we have to replicate that love in others. If we truthfully believe in this love, that the definition of a Christ follower is love and forgiveness. Love and forgiveness. Love, forgiveness. It seems like these two have to go hand in hand because people are going to hurt you, have hurt you, will hurt you, and love has to be alongside of it. However, in my human nature, and I'm going to assume in a lot of yours, my love is separate from my forgiveness a lot of times. Because when somebody harms me, they're removed out of my love circle. It's easy to love those who love and love you back. I'm saying love your enemies. And so your circle of forgiveness, those people who have harmed you in your life, and I'm going to assume that there are people that have done damage to you. I'm going to assume that perhaps you've explored forgiveness. Last week, we talked about grace. We talked about forgiveness. If you haven't heard that talk, go back. We have it on our website now. Our podcasts are up. We talked about this idea of grace. But what I'm saying to you is the circle of forgiveness and the people that you have forgiven, you're working on forgiving, where this process is of forgiveness has to be linked back into love. And these two worlds must exist together because there cannot be love without forgiveness. Because Jesus Christ forgave you of everything you've done. It's linked together. The definition of love of God is that. 
Love is forgiveness. His forgiveness started with the fact that his son, God's son, Jesus Christ, took our punishment and said we're not guilty. Now, I don't know how this whole system works because this is really a mind bender. But understand this. God did everything for you that you are guilt free and you are forgiven. So when God looks at you, he sees forgiven for nothing you've done. You've called on the name of the Lord, said, Lord, you're the only one I can be saved. You did the work for me. So his love for us created forgiveness for us and those two are linked together in our lives. So we must then at the same time bring that love and that forgiveness back out into the world. So having said that, I sat on the bed. I held my son in my arms. I started to tell him about Jesus and how it's easy to love us and so it's hard to love Ricky. I told him that Jesus says we're supposed to pray for him and forgive him and I asked him, I said, well, can you pray for Ricky? And he just shook his head no. Six years old, he's already learning what so many of us are even doing today. And he said, I can't, Dad. I said, it's okay. And we prayed together. I said, I'll pray for him. We prayed that he be a good boy. And we prayed that my son would learn to forgive him. And that night I went to bed. As you can imagine, as a parent, you know, you did the parenting thing, you're on the job, and now all of your emotions come gushing out, right? So I'm a mess. And my mind is just spinning. Like, I'm going on and on. I'm like, I can't believe this happened. And as a parent, I'm so afraid of these elements of life where damage is going to happen that's going to leave some long-lasting repercussions. And in these early days, those that first heartbreak, that first betrayal, those things that are just like a knife. I sat there just thinking, 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 and I couldn't fall asleep. Could not sleep. I was just obsessing over this. And as I sat there, I thought about this profound thing. When was the last time I actually prayed for people who hurt me? When was the last time that I ever thought about praying for people? A lot of times I, we say, you know, forgiveness and forget it, or all these other adages. Well, none of that's true. Because on, inside of us, we have these scars all over our body of things that's happened to us in our life. We have these scars, these marks, and though we heal, the scars still remain. And you may hear a song, you may see a picture, you may open a yearbook, you may see something on social media, you may watch a movie, something triggers something. You start to get a weird feeling, and this is the craziest thing of all. Like, I'm just transparent up, all, up here, so new people, I'm just being real for you, okay? It happened to me all week this week. I had this weird thing all week long where someone who hurt me, I couldn't shake it. I, because I'm writing the sermon, that's why. I mean, it just like all these pains started coming out again. And there was forgiveness, but there's still pain wounded by someone I trusted. They started to come back out again. I had all these feelings. And guess what happened with those feelings? Negative thoughts. So my mind starts racing. And I start thinking through scenarios. And I start thinking about, well, man, I should have done this. Or if this person would have done that. And so all this negativity is entering into my life. And so I'm thinking this while I'm working on your sermon, everybody. 
and I start to feel my heart get hard. You ever had that experience? Because I said I forgive, and in one sense I've forgiven, but I have not brought love back into it. It was separate. And so I had to literally go through, okay, this person is a child of the living God. This person is loved so much that this person has eternity with our God. This person is just a human being. I don't know. We all make mistakes, right? Who am I to throw stones at anybody? And I started to work my way back through the situation and bring love and prayer back into the equation. And now all of a sudden, I'm totally different Jason again. That's what this does. When you begin that time of prayer for people who have hurt you, things change. Now, again, I don't know your churching situation, but there's two groups of, well, two, three groups. We'll, we'll be very general this morning. There's groups of people in here who've been in church their whole life, really, like you have grew up in the church or early church time and you've kind of gone through church. Maybe you've given up for some time, but you came back. And there's those who are de-churched. Like I went as a kid, I had to go to a bunch of classes, I stopped, now I'm coming back. Or you're completely unchurched. I saw your, yeah, your ad on Facebook, you look cool, I thought I'd come, okay? So there's different groups of people. So I want to speak to the people of church. Why is it that Christians hurt us so much? Like, why is it seen that inside the walls of the church some of my deepest wounds have come? Is it because I'm more vulnerable inside of church? Maybe I, ex I expect more because we say the word Christian. Maybe I trusted too much. But for whatever reason, there are a lot of church pains sitting inside of this room this morning. And that pain that you feel, the people who have hurt you, the people who have betrayed you, you trusted, whatever it is, you now take that pain and you start to equate that back to God. People who are de-churched, probably the reason you're de-churched is that someone inside of the church did something that made you say, I don't want to be a part of that organization. I don't want to be part of it anymore. Generation by generation of kids coming up from millennials to Gen Z are calling it all out on the carpet saying, look, you're not real. You do the same thing as everyone else. I'm out. And so we walk away. Why is it that church people hurt too much? I, I don't have the answer, but I know some of my greatest pains come from inside. They come from inside when I was a younger man, just learning about ministry, and I was just awestruck by some men and women who I held in high regard, and they let me down, almost like parents. And they let me down, they hurt me, and then I start to say, well, wait a minute, wait a minute. You say that you follow Christ. And I felt hurt by it. There's the other side of people who are unchurched. The unchurched or the people who've maybe gone a little bit in there. There's a reason why you didn't go to church for a long time. A lot of reasons because they say the hypocrisy of the church. I've known Christians and they, quote, are just like everybody else. Now, what does that mean? What does it really, really mean? Is it our actions? Is it the way that we interact with people? Are we shady? I mean, some y'all shady. I don't know, but... Like, what is it that's so detestable to a world that says, I just don't want to be a part of that group of community? What, what is it? Like, let's start to pull some things out here. And I, and I think it's this. 
We have an expectation of something here that we put on other people, but we don't put on ourselves. You expect other people to not be backstabbing, gossiping, selfish motives, all those things that go down. We expect everyone in this room to do that, but I'm off the hook. That causes an expectation to be set, and but I can't, I don't, it's for you to do it for me, not me for you, and we all let each other down. If we look at it in a different light, we are all messed up. We are all going to make mistakes. But if we brought the idea of love together with forgiveness, the world will define us as something that's unique. Because it's not about the mistake. It's about what you do with it after the mistake. Do you make the call to say, I'm sorry? Do you pray for the person who hurt you? Are you inviting people to your home who maybe you know was gossiping about you and you invite them into community with you and say, dude, I love you. Do we do things that are counterculture like Jesus or are they frustrated that we act the same way as everybody else? We start going on Instagram, we start going on Twitter and we start putting this crazy message out there like, I'm not going to say which church it is, but man, they are fake. And then you say, oh, I agree, I agree, I agree. And all that stuff starts going on. And everyone's looking at us like, see, I told you. And so everybody's watching this public form of social media. But I'm asking the question, what would church look like if love and forgiveness were intertwined? That the way that Jesus says, I'm telling you something new. Love everybody who has hurt you and you will be defined by love. It says this in John 13, 34 to 35. A new command I give you, love one another as I've loved you. So you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. Love for each other defines us to the rest of the world. How we love. Now, we can say we love, but we learned in our series so far, we don't just talk about it. Love requires action. Love requires sacrifice. So no matter how nervous I am or uncomfortable, and you've hurt me, I need to say, friend, I got to tell you something. I'm so sorry that I said that. That changes the world. Would those scars be as deep if people came to you in forgiveness and love? So are my expectation, I'm not putting any blame on the outside world. I'm not putting blame on any organization. I'm not putting blame on any church. What I'm saying to us is mosaic. I'm calling us to be a different type of church. I'm calling us to love for real, for the sake of us being a resounding gong that the world's turning saying, what is their deal? Because when they look at us, they see love and forgiveness tied together in this unbreakable union. That will change the world. Think of your place of work. That person you can't stand. You're on your knees praying for him or her every single week you start to see that person in a different light. What about your neighbor who drives you nuts? Who's rude to you? And maybe you can't have conversation. I'm not saying throw yourself into a place where you're going to be abused verbally or any. I'm not saying that. But on your knees in prayer is a whole different conversation. Nobody can stop you from that. It's a new world, a new way of thinking. God gives us something beautiful in a completely different way of thinking. So in Acts chapter 2, you see this group of church 
coming together. Jesus has left. He's gone up and he's back in heaven and the Christians start coming together. And it's kind of chaotic, okay? And so they start coming together. And if you've ever heard the story of Acts chapter 2, you know that the church is forming and they have this beautiful thing going on. If it's a new story for you, I encourage you, read Acts chapter 2. You learn what's happening. It's a great great uh, story or history of, of how the church is forming. And in this time, they're all coming together. They're meeting at a house. They're eating together. They're sharing. They're giving what everybody needs. Nobody is in want. They're sharing the gospel of Jesus. What they're doing is talking about the resurrection of Christ. We saw it. We were there. He really is the Messiah. They're telling the story of Jesus. They're teaching him the things that he had said. So this is, and it says they're growing numerically unbelievably large because they wanted to be a part of that thing. Nobody in the world gives freely, loves freely, helps freely, sees others better than themselves, but this new group of followers of Jesus Christ walked and talked with him and said, no, this is what we're about. Acts chapter 2. And there's drama. If you've ever read Acts, there's lots of drama. The Christians aren't getting together. Peter and Paul, they've got different ideas and things start working up. But the beauty that you see inside of here in this church as it's forming is their love for each other. That's a completely different way of thinking. It's essential. If we cannot love each other well, how in the world are we going to love people who hurt us? How? I, I look at Colossians chapter 3, verse 13. It says this, Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. The New Living Translation says it this way, Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. This forgiveness thing is not an option because we said to know God is to know love and we have to be love. At the same time, forgiveness is linked into love. That these two must be intertwined with each other for each other and for those who have gone out and hurt us. Our enemies, if you will. Like I said, I know there's a lot of damage in here. It's just part of the system. But there are a lot of feelings, a lot of forgiveness, a lot of hurt that can be taken to your knees in prayer. Starting today. That you would start to see love in a different light. Because this isn't something that's just a really good idea. Like we're talking about this because this is a better way of living. It changes the way we see the world and how the whole world sees us. It transforms people around us. It transforms the world. And so what we have right now is the gospel of Jesus Christ, the hope of eternity, the hope of knowing real love, the hope of having a future, the hope of waking up in the morning, get your head off the pillow, is because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm not afraid of dying because of the hope of Jesus Christ. I'm bold with the gospel because of the hope of Jesus Christ. All I have in my life is the hope of Jesus Christ. Everything else in my life has let me down. I really like lots of things. I like my relationships. I have great friends. I have an awesome wife. I love being a dad. I really like my job. All these things, but all of that has let me down. All I have is Jesus Christ. Strip everything away that you have. All you have left is Jesus Christ. That's the hope that we have. And unless we start loving and bringing forgiveness and love together, 
our message is muted to the world. They can't hear it. Because this is who God is. We say we love God with our lips, but yet we don't really in our actions. That's why the generations are walking away. I am not afraid to say I'm sorry. I used to be. I hated it. You don't admit I was wrong. It's your problem, not my problem. I hated the words I'm sorry. I hated the words, will you forgive me? Because I had to admit that I'm the problem, that I'm at fault. Now, I don't know, you might be better at I'm sorry and forgive me's. It took me a long time. I'm a recovering, I don't say I'm sorry addict. I did not like saying it. But now I love it because I can be real and I can show others it's okay to say you're sorry. So to close up my story, Caleb and I prayed for Ricky and we did that night before bed and he'd go outside. He'd see him a few times. He didn't talk to him. I'd see him running around. And I thought, I wonder what's going on with him. And then one time, my son came running into the house, ear to ear, smiling. I mean, just one of those like face-cracking smiles, so happy. Dad, 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 Ricky and I are friends again. I love Ricky. So let me read this verse to you one more time. Matthew 5, verse 43 to 47. You've heard that it is said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good. He sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that. So we're going to pause. As we pause, I'll invite the worship team to come up back on the stage, and we're going to pray for our enemies. Pray for those who have hurt you. Pray that you would be a catalyst of bringing forgiveness and love into the world God has placed you, to your neighborhoods, into your families, into your workplace. Everywhere you go, that you would have this beautiful combination of the type of love God has brought together love, and forgiveness. Once again, thank you so much for listening. If you live in Southeast Wisconsin, we'd love to connect with you at our weekend gathering for service time, directions, and to learn more about our vision to ignite a movement of love that transforms our community and the world. Visit us at mosaicwi.com.